All right, there we go. So we're 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 uh, on the idea of of uh, we're tracing the theme of the the river, uh, the river of life in Psalm forty six, and and um, and we saw that the prophet gets a glimpse of a city. Um, so I wanted to go back to that idea of the river flowing from the city today. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 2. That's where we're going to go to. Uh, uh, in this vision, Ezekiel has a, a, a vision and he's, he's brought to a high mountain where he sees um, a new Jerusalem. And there's, because uh, Ezekiel is preaching in a time period. Ezekiel's a, a fascinating book, and, and John makes use of, the, of Ezekiel a lot in his, his writings. But Ezekiel, he's uh, taken into captivity about the time he would have joined the priesthood, and he retires. His last vision's at the time of his retirement, when he would normally retire from the church. So his, his, whole, his whole thing is he's wanting to be inside the uh, priest. He was, he was destined to be a priest in the temple, but uh, the temple gets destroyed. And so he, this, all his visions are surrounded about the, in this time when the temple has been destroyed, and they're in captivity. And and uh, he's longing for the temple, the return of this temple, and the return to Jerusalem. And so, fascinating book, lots of weird visions, and but uh, uh, some good stuff in there. And so, in one of his visions in chapter forty, he he's taken to a place where he's on a high mountain, um, where he sees a new Jerusalem with a river flowing out of it, and there's a, um, and so he's. Uh, on whose south side there was buildings that looked like a city. And, and, um, and so what he's really looking at is this new Jerusalem image, and there's this river uh, flowing out of it. Um, now, think about your world history, knowledge of it, Jerusalem. Is there a river flowing out of Jerusalem? No. Anyone been to Jerusalem? No, I've never been there either, but I know I've, I've seen the maps there's no river flowing out. Actually, there's never been a, a river flowing out of Jerusalem. Um, there's a stream called the Pool of Siloam. Um, this little stream is where you could get water and then hike up the hill. But at no time does the Jerusalem ever rowing, uh, river flowing out of the top of Jerusalem. Um, so we have this idea that... Um, that uh, um, that there's this river flowing out of this new uh, from the city, and um, and it's kind of the same image that we get in Psalm 46 that we are where we were at. Um, um, there's. Uh, Another place where Jerusalem is mentioned uh, having a river flowing out of it. Does anyone know where it's at? There's another place where Jerusalem is mentioned having a river flowing out of it. Anyone know where it's at? That's right. Revelation 22. Um, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as crystal, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great, uh, uh, great streets of the city. Each, one of the, each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit from every month and the leaves and the tree are for healing the nations." Um, there's a lot of imagery there we can go on to. Uh, we're not going to cover all the imagery in there. Some really cool stuff. Like we're not going to talk about the twelve tribes and the twelve trees. Um, we're just not going to sit there. Um, in chapter 21, it, 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 the, the, the city is called the Holy City, the New Jerusalem, and it's uh, and it's descending out of heaven to join the land. And um, and here he sees this this. This river of water of life, clear as crystal, and um, and all of a sudden, uh, the whole city can 
just be called like the throne and the throne of God and the Lamb because the Lamb has come and has done this thing. This, um, and so, and all this imagery actually comes from, guess where? Where does all this imagery come from in, in, in Revelation? Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> All this imagery goes back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, that's what we're still, we are really talking about Genesis chapter 1. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, the waters recede and the dry land appears. And then we had go back to uh, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Let's see, I think I have it on there. There it is. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Um, this is the account of the heavens and the earth as they were created. We'll get more into this later. But um, in the day that Yahweh made, God made the land and the sky is now at the point. In, um, so at this point in the story, there's, um, it says there's no, no shrub of the field. No plants have sprouted. And uh, when we get to Genesis chapter 2, and we're focusing in on Genesis chapter 2, I'll, we'll look at how different people have interpreted this. But, um, but really what I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing kind of like, okay, let's go, um, that we've, we've doubled back. Like we have Genesis chapter 1, and we've doubled back. And we're looking at the creation story from a different angle now. And I think that's really what we're supposed to be seeing here, that we're looking at it from a different place, a different angle. Um, as uh, Genesis chapter 1 brought us forward and we're backing up and we're going to consider the same set of ideas from a new narrative angle with different images. Um, because they're using the same image, uh, different images to kind of capture the same ideas in, in, this, in Genesis chapter 2. Um, and so... This is our vision of tohu vavuhu. Uh, remember tohu vavuhu, uh, formless and void, or empty and wild and waste. Um, that's uh, now, now in chapter two, it's being defined as no plants, no humans to farm the ground. So we're getting um, this image over here in Genesis chapter 1, we get an image in chapter 2, and they're, trying, they're explaining the same basic things, just using different imagery. Um, and so, um, in the first place, you know, in the Genesis chapter 1, 2, there was Tahovahu, and the darkness was over the deep, uh, and the Spirit of God was hovering over, the, and the water would rise up out of the ground. Um, Um, so um, where, where am I at? Yeah, shrub was sent to cultivate upon the rain. Ah, here we go, verse 6. Genesis chapter 2, verse 6. Um, the New American Standard has used the word mist there. Um, um, in other translations, you might see the word spring or stream. Uh, this is actually a really obscure Hebrew word that only appears here in the entire Hebrew Bible. <laughs> um, so uh, it kind of, uh, from what I read from you know these people that study this f for their careers, um, it means to flow. Or or a or like a stream flowing. Um, not when I you know when I think of mist, I kind of think of like you know, like this a fog, um, and, um, and and I don't think that's from what I'm understanding. That's probably not the idea they're going for here. Uh, more like a flowing idea, I think is what they uh, from what I'm told seems to be the idea here. So. Um, 
so let, let's, let's, kinda, let's catch the image here. So if the dry ground is floating on the waters, it's sustained up by those pillars. Um, those, um, then the chaos waters are below. And, uh, and they threaten the dry land. Uh, but the pillars guarantee stability. And the pillars themselves are held up by God's hand. God, we have, yeah, the God. God holds them up. He's the one who keeps it. Um, but then there's uh, water coming out um, um, that, um, you know, Yahweh has put a cap on the uh, the abyss, but yet he provides a little spring of water that channels up out to the land that's a life-giving water. Um, so, kind of, yeah, like a spring. Think of a spring coming out of the, the rock. You know, has anyone ever been out in the wild and actually seen a real spring? Yeah. Yeah, there's, if you're in the right time of year, there's a spring in Christmas Tree Pass. There's another one on the other side of the road um, um, if you're at the right time of year. Uh, when you're out in, you know, east where there's actual water, um, <laughs> you might be walking and you can see springs all over. We used to hike to this one called Angel Springs. Um, that was a nice little walk for the family. Um, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. So you got this idea that there's a spring coming out of the water, but it's 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 God has purified the waters that are below that are kind of this abyss waters, because He separated the waters from the above and the waters below, and He kind of has this chaotic waters, and and He says, and so He's kind of purified this water, this life water, and let it spring up from the ground and. Uh, now, if you have lots of water and, and, uh, and, and uh, lots of dirt, um, what does that make? Mud, that's right. Um, then the Lord, the God, formed man from the, the dust. Um, that word there, uh, formed, is, like the, is the Hebrew word um, uh, externally used for like pottery. Uh, like you shape it like clay. Uh, so we're kind of thinking, supposed to think of like out of the dust of the ground, you're, you're thinking the water is mixing with the dirt and you've got this mud-like clay that you're using pottery with. That's the kind of the Hebrew imagery there is this, this like we're forming man out of this clay kind of imagery. Because um, uh, you can't really form anything out of dust, right? You, just, you know, you can spell your name in it, right? <laughs> Say wash me, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you'd have to gather a lot of dust, right? Yeah, because when we think dust, we kind of think of that stuff that lands everywhere. We don't really think of stuff you can form out of. So, uh, but the words there in the Hebrew kind of are this idea that you're like this this water and the ground land has mixed, and you've got the water of life has mixed, and so you've got like this clay kind of pottery formed um, and he breathes life uh, into the nostrils uh, of the human creatures now lots of things live but this is the only thing in the in the scriptures that he breathes life into um, uh, and now um now the, now, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and he put, um, and he put the man he had formed uh, there. So, um, um, now remember the word Hebrew word for Eden is, is the word, Eden means delight. Delight. Um, so, it, uh, uh, so there's this garden in the east, and it's delight. A delight. It's a, um, in the in the Greek, they used the word paradiso. When they translated it into Greek, they translated it as the word paradise. That's where we get that idea from. Um, so, like when Jesus is on the cross and he says, "Tonight you're going to be with me in paradiso," 
We're, got, we're supposed to have this image that we most of us don't have because we've got all this Western ideas of heaven. But the idea is supposed to be like, today you're going to be with me in this Eden-like place where, um, where God is. Um, and so that's uh, this, this place of delight. Um, and so God made all the, um, the kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were planting to, pleasing to the eye and good, uh, good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I, I always, and we'll talk, well, I'll mention this again when we actually go through Genesis chapter 2. There's two trees. A lot of times we want to say there's one tree, but there's two trees. Two trees. One is the tree of life, where apparently if you eat this, whatever this fruit is, you eat of this fruit, this tree, you have this life. And then another tree, where it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can't eat from that one. And so when God punishes them to death, he takes away, he pushes them outside of the garden and they're no longer for access to that tree of life. They only have, they have the, the, the results, the consequences is they only now have the fruit from the tree of knowledge of evil and good and evil. They have that, but they no longer have the results of that tree of life. Um, yeah. For a long time, I always thought it was only one tree, right? Mm-hmm. And then when every time they mentioned the, the fruit, and I always said it was, I was wrong there. He, as a matter of fact, he used to recognize the tree that I used to call it an apple. Because the picture, the picture's only showing apple. You're right. You know, when that actually, I looked this up. The reason it shows an apple is actually because when it got translated into Latin. That Latin translation, I have some really, the more I study, the more I have problems with the Latin translation. <laughs> um, they really did some things that have really messed with the way we as Westerners see the Bible because of the way they have chosen to translate things. Uh, because the, in Latin, apparently, I'm not, my Latin is horrible. I did study a minute of it, but not, not enough to, to say I know Latin. Uh, but apparently the word for apple and the word for fruit sound the same. Oh, okay. and, wow. and so they translated it as, and so it became apple, and, and so it became the apple. And that's, uh, but, but, we, uh, but we've really missed out on that idea. Uh, and so that's why, I, like I said, I've really had, some, the more I've studied the Hebrew and the Greek, I'm like, I really have these problems with the way this Latin version <laughs> like ruins some of the way our... our our conceptions. Um, so, um, but yeah, so they, um, so yeah, so we have the, but we have two trees. Uh, and so, um, and in this garden, in this, this place of delight, there's, there are trees that are good for eating, including the tree of life. It's good for eating. Um, just can't eat that one tree that's right in the middle. Um, so there's, um, Now, I want you to think back. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Psalm 46. We had something that was in the middle of a city. What was in the middle of the city? Do you guys remember? I know it's been a long time. You guys can take a minute, look back on your, in your Bible. Psalm 46. What do you think it was? We're going to take a guess. <laughs> <laughs> like <that>. no <laughs> no <laughs> Psalm 46 there was something in the middle of the city This is actually kind of cool
There's a river, huh? What's It does say that. <laughs> Remember, it was one of those things we kind of read in between the lines. And it wasn't Starbucks. <laughs> they wanted one, but, but they just couldn't get past the imagery of a siren on the cup, and they just said no. <laughs> um, what's at the mouth of the river? Where's the river flow from? What? That's right. God. God is in the middle of the city. I know, we were, thinking, we were trying to think, uh, God is at the middle of the city. And so now, and that imagery actually comes from Genesis. The, the tree uh, which receives us that eternal life, um, it isn't the tree itself that gives life. It's God that gives life. And... Um, and so right out, so we have this image that in the city, there's this tree of life. We'll come back, that, that tree of life is used a lot in the scriptures as the presence of God's eternal giving, life-givingness. Um, so um, as provision of the divine life, it's right in the center. And, and, um, and so there's this that, that tree. And so right here in this Garden of Eden, we have this this garden that flows out of Eden, um, this, this, uh, this river that, that, that has left the garden. Um, so when we see um, in the middle of all this, in the, so in the middle of the dry, in, so in the dry land, in Eden, in the middle, there's a tree of life right there in the middle, okay? And uh, it's not the temple, but it's the prototype in which the temple and the tabernacle are based off of. Um, and um, I'll, uh, you know, and it correspond, corresponds to um, the garden uh, is the holy of holies. Um, and, um, and the tree of life represents where God it corresponds to where God has sits on his throne. And so when the priests go into the, the holy place um, um, to, to wipe the menorah and replace the bread and all the imageries with the walls and the curtains around them that most of you skip over because you're like, wow, this is really dry. Uh, <laughs> um, that's all stuff, the, you know, the pomegranates and the palm. Uh, Palm trees is is to rep, is to give you the feeling that you're walking in to the garden. Um, so which uh, you know the temple spaces are symbols of and and then right out of the 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 garden is a river. Uh, here's a trick question for you: How many rivers flow out of Eden? Just one. Just one river flows out of it. Genesis chapter, uh, uh, let's see, yeah. Uh, okay, here's a, here's, a, here's a wonderful image that I, I, I saw. Um, uh, who, who did this? Um, I want to say it was on the Bible Project. Um, the image is that uh, on the land you have a place called Eden and in the middle you have the tree of life which the temple has is the representative which in becomes Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll get there. And out of that comes the river of life which is flowing, the, the, the river flows out of Jerusalem which comes out of the temple which comes out of the Eden which comes out of uh, um, I mean, so it's like wow, you know, right? And all this comes out of this, 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 these passages. So it's, uh, um, so, so yeah, uh, that's why I like this imagery of the crown. Uh, um, so yeah, so it's, um, 
Um, that's just like all the imagery comes from this pa- these passages in Genesis. The, 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 Jesus becomes the tree on the tree where he's, he's crucified, becomes the place of life. Okay, exactly where it is physically. You're right. There is no water in uh, flowing out of Jerusalem. Um, this is imagery that's supposed to be capturing something bigger than a physics. Remember, this is not a story about the physics of it. This imagery is about the story about what's behind it. Um, so. Um, um, and and there is there's in in the garden in Genesis chapter uh, um, chapter two verse ten a water a river flowing uh, watering the garden flowed from Eden so there's one and from there it separates into four rivers so it's one that comes from Eden and then it separates into and we know that this is like crazy um, can't be like an actual physical things because these rivers are all over the place. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, well, no, these, these rivers here are, um, uh, the first river was, um, uh, the, the, uh, Fishon, uh, it, uh, it means like, uh, leper or a springer, uh, uh, leaper, um, springer, so like jumper, um, and it's, um, uh, it's, it, it it goes all the way around the land of Hivla, uh, which is on the way to Egypt. Um, there's a lot of gold there. The um, which the gold of the land is good, great gold. Um, it's also known for the onyx stones that are found there. So it's a very rich place and. Oh, well, that's not exactly what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the second river is Gishon, uh, which is, goes around the land of Cush, uh, which would be uh, below, uh, you know. Um, and then the third one is uh, Hidek, uh, Hidekel, which goes, around, goes east of Assyria and Mesopotamia. So we've got... One side, and now we're on the other side. <laughs> and, uh, and then the fourth rivers is the Euphrates, which is probably the most famous of the ones. Um, that one is in Mesopotamian lands as well. Um, the land of Cush, uh, I meant to say this, is uh, what we call Ethiopia today. Uh, it's the source of where the Nile comes from. So you've got this, this place... The river springs. Now, if you were going to take this physically, it would be before the flood. Rivers change. We have no idea, you know. So there's there's no way we could physically match all this. Um, but we but we, we are getting. So we have this the Egypt Sinai Peninsula with uh, you know uh, Egypt is kind of different for us. We often you know because our maps all go from the north to the south, and here in the United States, everything kind of flows north to south. Uh, you know, maybe in an east to west position, but it's always kind of heading towards Mexico. Uh, and uh, but Egypt kind of it, it took me forever when I was studying Egypt to to get this through my head that Egypt goes Upper Egypt is in the south, and the river flows down the river towards the north and that took me forever <laughs> to get in my head <laughs> uh, the upper egypt is actually the southern part of the land and 
Uh, it took me a long time to get through that through my head <laughs> because here in the United States, it's so you know we could just say everything from the north goes towards the south, <laughs> and so um, uh, that took me a while. Um, so Upper Egypt is is southern, and 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 Lower Egypt is 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 the northern part because it's um, and uh, um, so. Um, so we have, yeah, so we have the, the river, the, we have the Nile River, basically, the, the Tigris, the Euphrates. Um, yeah, so we've got, we've got land on, rivers on both sides of the land that Egypt is, is the story of Israel will take place on, right? Because Israel, the story of Israel doesn't take place in the United States. It doesn't take place, I, I, yeah, I know, surprise. Uh, it doesn't take place in Europe. It doesn't take place. It takes place. The furthest they go is Egypt on one side and Assyria on the other side. That's like where it goes. That's as far as the story goes, um, which really isn't that far, especially here in the United States. We're like, that's like what, Texas to California? I mean, that's, <laughs> we're not even talking half the United States here. Uh, <laughs> um so, uh, you know, but, um, yeah, so, 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 but what, but we're, we're getting this imagery that's kind of walling off these famous rivers because the story is going to all take place there. And so we're, we're getting this, uh, this clue, you know, is Egypt, Assyria, and Babylonia going to have important roles in this story? I think so. I mean, that's foreshadowing. Um, you know, and, um. These are all places where they're going to have epic showdowns of people creating their own versions of heaven and earth and um, all these different places claiming to be Elohim. Um, so, and, um, and um, so, you know, so um, this is kind of setting up who we're going to meet later on in the story. Um, but, um, but, Right from Eden flows the the river of life flows out of it, and um, from the place uh, I love this from the place that heaven and earth are one. That's that's what Eden represents. Um, uh, I have a quote here. No, I no, I don't. Apparently, I'll read a quote from. Um, here from uh thought i put it on the board but i did not i uh, have um michael morales um not michael morales that that, that goes to church here There's a different michael morales uh, um uh, he has a book called tabernacle prefigured um it's all about how um the eden story and the flood stories are giving are giving categories that you need to understand the temple and the tabernacle in the Hebrew Bible, uh, kind of a cool book. Uh, but he puts it. He puts. He, he says. Says this. And um, water is commonly commonly conceived in the Bible and the ancient Near East literature as symbols of uh, oppositional forces of life, an ambiguous symbol of life and death. Water is symbolic of death when it is controlled too much or too little, and of life when it is controlled because it provides growth and fertility. This summarizes the movements from Genesis 1-2 to 2-10-14, from the chaotic waters of the dark abyss to the... Uh, 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 sorry, my phone just went off. Um, uh, where was I? Sorry. Abyss to the uh, fructifying rivers of the Eden in the Hebrew Bible, this decisive control of the waters in, is in the pro, uh, progenitive of God who has sovereign rule over death and life. In this sense, deep, deep abyss signifies the negative or threatening aspects of water, while the water represents the positive aspects of water under control, controlled by God. Um, so, um, so the role of water in Genesis one and two uh, kind of has this uh, interplay where 
God is the master and tamer of the waters. Um, and he can make the waters serve his purpose by watering all the kingdoms of the world. Um, so when you get to Genesis chapter 2, and so when you find this, it gives you fundamental categories of the meaning of rivers that it, and springs. Um, that Israel in the wilderness and Hagar in Egypt, the slave banished her son, God provides water. And of course it leads us to Jesus having a conversation with a woman in a well. Uh, but saying um, that this well will never quench your thirst. But I have some water to give you. Because um, Jesus is the, the living water. And, uh, and though, um, so and it's all connected to this development of water found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And so... Um, the water uh, becomes divine gift of life at just the right moment or a divine gift of life that can, uh, um, you know, and some people try to take this gift and use it for their own purposes and abuse it. And, um, but that's kind of the chaotic when it's used to, uh, turns that liver, that water into chaotic uh, river. Um, so... I think um, when I realized this, it kind of opened my eyes to how we see water in the Bible. Because, like, not only in Genesis chapter one, because we have this this weird sentence where you have like waters that are rivers that are all kinds of all over the place, flowing from one river, and you're like, "What in the world is that?" Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I looked at a map and I said, "There's no way there's one river flowing, <laughs> controlling all that." Uh, and I just realized. <laughs> <coughs> But, um, you know, we've got them flowing in different directions. Um, but, um, um, but at the same time, it gave me, helped me to understand all the, 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 the symbolic meaning of water in the whole Bible. That, uh, you know, every, the living water flows from God, and chaotic waters is when he's not involved with it. Um, and he can tame the chaos dragon that's in the waters. Uh, I was uh, listening to someone today and they, they uh, made a comment. I looked it up and sure enough, uh, when Jesus in Matthew says, uh, hush be still to the, to the, the water in the storm, um, the word there, hush, means kind of like shut up um, in, in the Greek. But the word there to be still is actually like to put a muzzle on it. It's used like, you, like an animal. You put a muzzle on it, stop it from biting. And so he says, hush, puts like put a muzzle on it. I'm going to stop you from biting, from stop you from, he, I mean, so, <laughs> um, so put a muzzle on it. Um, I'm going to stop you from, from that chaos dragon of the storm from attacking. Uh, that's, uh, um, but, um, we have a little time. Let's go to John 1. Oh, New Testament. Jesus. We're in Jesus. Uh, still in Genesis chapter 1, but we're on Jesus. Um, John 1, 14. This is one of those famous passages, right? Uh, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory and the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, it describes um, the incarnation of this divine Word. Uh, the Word became flesh. Um, so when we think the Word, we're not, a lot of times we want to say, well, the Scriptures became flesh. That's not what they're talking about. Um, because we say, well, God's word, it's God's word. So we want to say the scriptures became flesh. That's not what it's... When we, we say the word became flesh, we're actually going back to Genesis. That which he ordered creation, when Vayahi, God said, with all that he um, 
all that intention and purpose which he created uh, in the very first line of Genesis. Uh, he created the world through um, the word, that divine purpose, that's what becomes flesh. And that's Jesus Christ. Uh, and, um, and so, um, so uh, he, it's described, it's, it's like he, he literally sets up a tent in our midst. He's the now, the tabernacle. He's now the temple. He's now. Um, so we, um, um, he made his dwelling a place upon us. That word dwelling, play, that, 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 sentence, that word for dwelling among us, that's the word we get, the, that it, it, uh, it's a verb that we use to, to set up a, t- a tent, to set up a, a place of living. Um, um, so, it's, uh, so we got this tabernacle imagery here. He is now the place that God is among us. And, uh, and so Jesus identifies that the tabernacle become human and the tabernacle symbol was in Eden where God and humans were together. So Jesus is now the image where God and humans are together. He's the, that ultimate unification of God and man. He's fully God, fully human. This, uh, this imagery. Um, so it's all ultimately, when we ever do read the temple, it's fully realized the potential of the tabernacle in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and, and that's why when you when you look at Jesus, you see uh, you see glory, um, which is um, the same um, it, when. Um, when Jesus is up on the t- on the, the high mountain and, and they go and he's transformed and you see the glory of, of Jesus and his transfigured body, uh, that's the same glory that we that Moses saw on the mountain um, uh, where the Israelites were you know were above the t- you know and this is where uh, Jesus said if you see me you've seen you've seen the full full you know you've seen the full deal you've seen uh, the Father um, you saw his glory. Um, John 2, 13 through, 32, uh, through 22. Um, right after the chapter, uh, the next story is about how Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he, he uh, pulls this really public stunt, which in the uh, other Gospels happens at the end of the chapter, end of the story, because, and in John it happens at the beginning. Um, different authors, different points of view, Different purposes the writing. May have it happened more than once. We don't know. <laughs> but they definitely have different reasons for writing. So we have this, uh, he, he um, um, so, so he's, um, he's in the center of power, the, the religious hope and expectation in Jerusalem. Um, so he's, um, He's on the, the White House that's also the National Cathedral. He's, uh, he's right there in the, the, the center, political and religious center of, of the Israelite people. And he, um, he starts disturbing the whole system and buying, uh, that's buying and selling animals for sacrifice. And uh, in Mark, it even tells us he makes a, a cord and makes it into whip. And starts whipping people and, uh, and he calls it, this, this is my father's house. And um, and he says, um, and uh, and so um, so yeah, so you know they're they're exchanging money. Uh, uh, that's an interesting passage because what they used to do is you used to have Roman money, which had Caesar's face on it, and you couldn't use that in the temple. You had to have God money, temple money. Um, so you'd have Jewish coins and you couldn't use them. And so you have to, you would have to exchange Roman money for God money. And, uh, what he, what's going on here is, is in order to make your sacrifices, they were, you had to 
first change your Roman money to God money, and then you had to take your God money and buy the sacrifice stuff. Uh, because you know most people didn't actually have it at that point, you know, and so um, so the the you know the, you would have to get a dove, which a dove was supposed to be for the the poorest of the poorest people that you they were like, well, you're not that poor. You have to give us the money first, and exchange. and they were charging extraordinary rates to change your Roman money into God money, and that's uh, and then they charged it again. So they were they were they were double triple taxing. Uh, <laughs> They were being, well, yeah, more like thieves. Um, and, uh, and so when he scatters the money and the changers and overturning the tables, he's, he's throwing over, overturning the whole system. He's saying this whole system's got to change. Um, I don't think people realize that No. Right, if you could even find them, yeah. So that, yeah, that's right. The temple provided those unblemished animals. Um, so yeah, very good point. So yeah, so um, yeah, that's very good. So um, yeah, so so he says, stop turning my far, my father's house into the market. So um, um, and so um, and then. And then they have this interesting thing. The, the Jews respond to him as after he's whipped. And, and the Jews and John, the Jews doesn't mean like all Jews were there. And there were the Jews and John rep, is, is the Sanhedrin, the, the, the ruling court, the people that are the highest. So whenever you see the Jews and John, just think it's the only, the, the, the political power. That's, that's what that means. The political religious powers. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Susie on the street. It was... Um, the ones that mattered. <laughs> um, and so, um, and uh, so he, he, so he, he, he says, what sign do you show to prove that you have authority to do all this? Which is kind of calm, I thought, for, for driving them out with cords and flipping over stuff. I thought that was really calm. Um, probably something, uh, you know, uh, you know, this is why I think it was written afterwards. Not, not. <laughs> um, and Jesus answered them, "Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days." Uh, which is really unique because they had been building that temple for forty-six years at that point. <laughs> uh, and you're going to, you know, well, we've been building this temple for 46 families, and you're going to build it in three days? Um, um, and then John uh, kind of whispers in our ears, um, um, you know, um, Jesus is, you know, he, Jesus talking about himself. That's, that's John kind of making an aside, John making an aside. Um, so the threat between this chat, uh, so, um, yes. There's no evidence for that at all. There's no evidence that he never ate meat. There's no evidence. There's no evidence for that at all. The, the, we, we know that he ate fish. Fish would have been a staple food because they were a, farm, a fishing community. Um, they also probably would have ate lamb, uh, like beef and stuff like that would not have been a thing. Uh, lamb? Uh, there's, there's, there's no evidence that he didn't eat. Uh, he probably ate kosher, which means he wouldn't eat beef and cheese. He wouldn't eat a cheeseburger. He wouldn't eat... Uh, <laughs> Um, kosher is a Jewish way of eating. Like there's certain Jewish laws, you don't eat certain foods, but you can eat other certain foods. Uh, yeah, there's like you can eat uh, nothing with uh, like you can't eat camel, you can eat cow, you can't eat pig, you can't eat uh, birds or or bottom feeders, no shrimp, no. Um, but you can eat fish. There's um, there's no evidence that he didn't eat anything. You know that he. He ate anything other than kosher. 
The reason that people say he only ate fish is because at the one time that we do have him eating is, it, is it, they mention fish. Yeah, but there's no evidence that that was all he ate. That's just what we, we've kind of put that on the story. Um, he probably ate kosher. I would say that's what he ate is kosher. Um, so, I, you know, him not eating lamb, I think, would have been, uh, uh, um, yeah. Um, but not important part of the story. Um, so, um, yeah, John chapter 7. Um, yeah, Jesus is standing in the temple courts on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. Um, Sukkot is, um, Sukkot does a lot of things. Um, you go live in a tent uh, outdoors uh, to symbolically recreate uh, the journey of Israel's uh, and, and God through the wilderness tent. Uh, so you kind of have these outdoor, and they still sell, they still celebrate Sukkot today. Um, you, you like, I was looking. Oh, I, I watched this Jewish rabbi on um, on you know he's on all the major ones YouTube, TikTok, uh, Instagram, whatever. Um, and he was setting up for Sukkot not long ago, and um, and uh, they set up their tent on their balcony, so they would. They would sleep on the balcony because they lived in inside of the city of Jerusalem and uh, and uh, Sukkot, Sukkot. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T. Well, uh, yeah, K-K. It would be. Um, I'm trying to translate it into English. Uh, I would do two Ks. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, um, um, yeah, so um, the wilderness says, and, and you do it for seven days, and, um, and, it's, uh, and it acquired all the imagery of hope for the fall and the rains, and it isn't... It, it isn't in the New New Testament, but it's Jewish tradition, and it's, um, it's really ancient. Uh, um, the the feast uh, every day of the Sukkot, the um, the priests are doing circle prayers around the altar, and in which they uh, they pour water on the altar, um, and it's similar to kind of how Elijah. Uh, tells the prophets to pour water all over the altar um, and uh, pray for the falling rains and the crops and so on. And this, this happens at Sukkot. Like I said, it's, it's not in the, the Bible, but it's something that is Jewish tradition that is in there. Um, and so Jesus uh, gets up and he goes to the temple courts and says, uh, is anybody here thirsty? Um, You know, come to me and get a drink. Um, Jesus went around Galilee and he, he didn't go out in Judea because of the Jewish leaders. Um, interesting enough, here's another side note. Uh, whenever you see Judea, sometimes it's referring to the land of Judea, which is the land that Judah. And sometimes Judea references all of Israel. Because it... That's where the word Jew comes from, Judahites. And so all the land of Israel became the Jewish land. So Judea can also reference to, and you see both in the scriptures where it references the specific land and all of Israel. That's a side note. So side note that's uh, not really important for what we're talking about, but, um, but I did see a place in the King James and the ESV where they use two different words. Because the Greek uses two different words. One Greek version uses Judahites and one uses uh, Galilee uh, because they're one Greek reference is using Judahites to represent all of Judah, uh, all of the Israel. And so one version fixes it because it comes later. So I say fixes it just to reference this physical land. Um, so interesting. that's an interesting thought. Um, 
So the leaders there looking for ways to kill him, but the Jewish festival of tabernacles, Sukkot, was near. And Jesus' brother said, leave Galilee and go to Judah so your disciples there may see the works you do. Uh, no one wants to become a public, fi- a public figure in secrets since you are doing these things to yourself. Um, there, so where was I? Uh, show yourself, yeah. No one who wants to be in public figure acts secrets since you are doing these things. Show yourself the world for even... His own brother did not believe him. Jesus' own brother didn't believe him. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time has not come yet, for any time will come. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that the works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going to this festival because my time has not fully yet come. After they said this, he stayed in Galilee. After However, after his brothers had left him for the festival, he also went, uh, not publicly, but in secret. Now the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds was widespread whispering, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival, Jesus go up to the temple courts to, and began to teach. The Jews there were uh, amazed and asked, how did this man get so much learning without having been taught? Uh, by that, he's not saying, well, how did this country, well, he's kind of, they're kind of saying, how did this country bumpkin um, learn so much? Um, but remember, this is also something that they said to him when he was, the same thing they said to him when he was 12. How amazed they were at his teaching and what he knew. Um, so this isn't, uh, how do I say this? This isn't a call not to have pastors get educated. I've heard that before. They said, well, Jesus was, they were amazed by us, so our pastors shouldn't be educated. I think that's, that's not what's going on here. Pastors need to be educated. We are not Jesus. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, um, so, anyways, um, so um, Jesus, so the disciples went to become public figures. So you saw, see, and Jesus says, "My teachers are not my own. It comes from one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God without the teaching will come." Uh, or whether I speak of my own, whoever speaks in their own will gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory who has sent his man uh, of truth, there is nothing false about him. Uh, he has nothing, why are you trying to kill me? Uh, said, you are demon possessed, the cloud says, who is trying to kill you? Jesus said, I did one miracle and you are all amazed, yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it didn't come from Moses, but from the patriarchs. You circumcise a boy on Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the man whose whole body the Sabbath uh, stopped judging my appearance, but instead judged correctly? Um Uh, I'm not going to read this whole thing, though I could. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, so anyway, so um, so he uh, so he goes up and um, uh, and uh, you know and on in this festival and he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers waters will flow from within him. Um. Uh, kind of like where out of where, right? Like where, where's it flowing out of your belly button? Um, the the word here, um, John goes on to tell us he's actually in. I'm going to skip ahead. He's uh, talking about the uh, ruk. There's a fun word, ruk, uh, which is the spirit of God that God breathed ruk into the nostrils. Uh, and the Greek is uh, numa. Um, where we, the same word we get uh, pneumonia from, uh, pneuma, 
Um, this uh, it's, it's, it's the spirit, the breath, uh, wind, um, the spirit, um, and so um, and so like um, and, and so he's this living water is this is is going to be flowing out of Jesus just like out of the tabernacle and he's going to give it and then it's going to flow because it's flowing from him into us it's going to flow out of us into others um god i am not done um we are out of time but i am not done yet um John, let's see, next week we have a singing, so I guess we'll pick this up. I don't have enough to go for another sing, a whole other lesson, so I'll tack this on to the beginning of the next one, and then we'll start. Um, this one, let me put a mark right here, we're finished. Uh, John 19, kind of put a mental marker where we're at, because we're going to talk about Jesus on the cross and little rod flowing out of him. Uh, oh yeah yeah we're gonna come to that idea and then we'll talk about baptism 5 30 prayer time is going on just like normal and then we'll have a singing uh the praise night tuesday yeah, next tuesday um so so um Unless something happens and everyone says, we're not singing, and then <laughs> um, then I'll let you know. But um, All right. Do we have anything else we want to say? Absolutely.